Hey, founders, welcome back to another episode of the Gab Lab. This is a show that's designed to bring you financial intelligence to not only blow your mind, but to help you build your bottom line. Today's episode, championed by our good friends at Community Future Sunrise, an office in Southeast Saskatchewan that's helping founders out there build their business and nail their numbers. I'm your show host, Tanya Woods-Richardson, and today's episode is all about brand and its impact on the bottom line. We are joined in the lab by uh, Nail the Numbers Pro, Ryan Townen. Ryan is the founder and CEO of William Joseph, phenomenal and fun marketing agency that is servicing uh, companies across Canada, doing some phenomenal work. And he's going to walk us through what is a brand, how do we build a brand, and how do we deliver on the promise of a brand, all in an effort to build our bottom line. Thanks for watching. We'll catch you in the lab. Okay, Ryan, so happy to have you here. Thank you for joining me and investing the time to have this talk today. You betcha. Oh, so um, this is a little different from the normal conversations that we typically have in the Gab Lab because normally we're talking all about money and profitability and pricing and cost of goods. And so I think everybody's happy to have a little reprieve from that. But before we get into the fun stuff, because I think a lot of founders love marketing and love branding, can we chat a little bit about why brand is so important to the bottom line? What is the correlation between branding and, and bottom line profitability? Yeah, so... To kind of like articulate what brand is in our idea or in our mind at William Joseph, brand is all about the promise and the experience that you make to a customer. So it's more than just a logo and it's more than colors and it's more than the content in a website. It's really that whole idea of what is your story? And the thing is, is the more concise you can get your story, the more articulate, the more uh, defined so that it's authentic, compelling and different. Uh, it will really help you stand out amongst the crowd, right? So when you stand out amongst the crowd, competitors uh, will start, you'll start differentiating and then customers will be able to easily see who's the best fit for them. And when you can make that connection, that's what helps close a sale. Without a brand, people buy on the what? What do you sell? Okay, I sell this. What do you sell? Oh, it's the same thing. Well, who's cheaper? Grind it down. But without the why and without the brand and without the story that differentiates you, people might not be able to understand what's different from you and the bottom line price person. And you know what, that could cost you sales or turn it into a price war. So having a very strategic brand can definitely help, um, you know, again, build market awareness, help you close deals and stand out amongst the crowd. Oh, brilliant. And so many points that I want to dive into there, but the big, and, and we will, that's why we have the time here together. The big thing that I, I took away from that is about differentiating yourself and then being able to close the deal. Because as you said, I think a lot of founders get stuck in their pricing strategy and trying to price based on what Joe down the block is pricing at, and then getting stuck in this, you know, in this vortex of not making enough money and trying to, to figure out how to make, uh, create that key differentiator. So I love that you've touched on those. So thank you for that. So we're going to dive into a couple of things today, thankfully, with you here, and you've given me permission to, to go forward in this, in this Thrill space. Me. 
Woohoo! Uh, so we're going to talk about the uh, the visual representation of the brand, and then we're going to in part two. We're going to talk a little bit about I love it the experience, the promise of the brand. I think a lot of people forget about that. And the third piece, we're going to talk about pricing and products, and how this brand needs to kind of weave throughout all of the all of the different products that you uh, that you create and put out on the market. So one of the things that I was thinking of when I was thinking of brand is from a high level kind of visual representation, I was thinking about personality. And this is why I reached out to you, because I have to tell you, Ryan, what you have built, like I remember when we first connected, it was it was a while ago, it was over 20 years ago when you first built William Joseph. And William Joseph, when I think of personality, I think of you and I think of William Joseph and you have done such an incredible job with that agency and the support that you've shown business owners really across Canada, right? Started out Calgary and then Western Canada. So I just, I just want to take a moment to, to thank you for the work that you do. Um, and so now let's talk a little bit about the, the brand that you've managed to accomplish with, with William Joseph and what William Joseph stands for and the, the personality piece, the visual representation, what goes in to the brand? What do you have to be aware of when you're first kind of building that brand? Those are a lot of points too. Now you threw at me. You know, when I started this company uh, almost 20 years ago, my whole thought was I'm not a small company on day one. I'm just the beginning of a big story. And I truly believe at the end of the day, your mindset is what's going to shape your success in business and in life. So when clients come in to see me, I can tell who's going to grow and who's going to be successful by their, by how they talk, you know, when we hit up to be a $5 million company with this and, you know, they have this vision and they have this attitude that anything is possible. And that's what I had. I truly believe, I didn't believe it couldn't happen. Of course it's going to happen. And I thought big and my, like, so now 20 years later, my marketing budget is bigger than my annual sales up until like year four. (laughs) So it does happen. If you think it can make it. So I want to start there. So please do understand your shape, your, your thoughts shape your reality in business and in your life. So the bigger you think, the bigger you'll achieve. So that's number one. I think when it comes to being your personality, I just say, let yourself shine. That's it. You know what? Everybody has a set of values. I have a set of values. You have a set of values. Every company that we encounter has a set of values. And there's this personality that's that's who they are. And there's certain customers that will fit with that. And there's certain customers that won't. And that's okay. We're not everybody's cup of tea. But the thing that I do want you to know is good branding is just authentically showing that shine. It's telling your story so that the world can see it. It's like amplifying it so that, you know, not only do your customers know who you are, but the people down the road or down the street or down across the country, they get to see who you are. So I think what happens is, is when you try to whitewash a brand or neutralize it, it loses your personality. And that's the whole thing is you're trying to find people that fit you. So at WJ, people are always like, well, you're so authentic. I don't know how to be anyone else but me. So I just, I just tell my story and our company attracts the same, like a a talent and a, a group of people that embrace this culture. Because see, this is a whole thing. Your culture is your brand. And we're going to talk later about experience. But your brand is really that promise and the story that you're going to go and set forth and tell the world. But your people have to support that, right? So if they're not in alignment with the story that you told, 
people would think that maybe they were in the wrong place because it just, the story doesn't fit the people. Uh, when you talk about, so anyways, that's the WJ thing. We, yeah. We've been resilient. We have seen ups and downs and ups and downs and oh my God, now I have recessions and pandemics and I, I don't know. I think there's a resilience that we folks from out West have. Uh, the Prairie folks, we're, we're pretty hard workers and we just keep going. But, you know, I think there's this entrepreneurial spirit that's always lived in me. And that's re what really resonates through a lot of our clients that we work with. They see me in the trenches and they're like, oh God, that guy's slugging and he's making it. I, maybe he can help us. So there's, there's, under, there's undercurrents or themes in your brand too, like resilience, entrepreneurship, like there's those aspects that come up. So out of curiosity, yeah, yeah there's, um, there's a lot there. Thank you. And so out of curiosity, knowing that the majority of this audience is going to be founders, and let's just say many of them are in the, in the, at the point where they're either reinventing themselves or they're starting from scratch now through this pandemic, and they're trying to figure out their brand and their personality. As a founder, do you, do you, do you go within and do you start with you? and your personal values and personality, and then want to have that reflected in the business? Or do you do it the other way? What is the business going to stand for? And what personality does the business have? What is your recommendation on that? That's a great question. So like going forward, like <laughs> the I and we gets kind of messy when you right. own the company, right? So are you the company is the company you, or is it different? So I have a personal brand and William Joseph has a brand. So when we talk about the company, what does the company stand for? Why does it exist? And then what is the essence, the values, the personality of that company? What is the key messaging and the language and X, Y, Z? So you build out the story and then you take that story and you go, okay, so think of a book. You've crafted this beautiful story. Now it needs to have imagery that goes with it. So if you're very compassionate as a, as a company, then you would use colors that would reflect compassion. If you're very techie, very, very techie, I can see clean lines and sharp and white because that would represent technology. So the graphics and the design has to mirror the story. So when you read a book, it's all consistent, right? The pictures match the words. That's right. the same thing with branding. Uh, the pictures match the words, which then matches the experience that a person would have. Oh, okay. I love that. Okay. So it's starting to come together for me. So you start with the words, you start with the story. You have a story for the founder. You have a story for the business. They don't always need to overlap. They, they can be different stories. Because you think about this, I could own eight companies and those eight companies could each have their own brand and their right. own each client base, right? I'm still the same founder, right? So, so the point is, is you're going to have your personal brand and story and you'll have your own personal LinkedIn and you'll post your personal content and then your companies will each have a brand. Gotcha. Okay. So words first, founder, business, images come next. And to that point, this is where you're talking about the colors that you're using, the imagery that you're using, the lines, the shapes, all of that, that that visual representation all comes together. And then the experience, which we talk about in the next piece. I guess I have one more question going back to founder and business, because you talked about authenticity. So how do you, when you start putting words around the brand of a business, if it's incongruent with well, I guess maybe I'm answering my own question, but if it's incongruent with 
uh, a founder's values or founder's personality. Let's say, for example, the business is supposed to be outgoing and out there and in your face and dramatic and the founder or the team are all introverts and they like to be behind the scenes, making everything happen. Do, do you need to make sure there's some congruency between the team and the brand or is it possible to do a workaround and just find a different framework for it? Mm. I think we'll kind of separate that question. Okay. So again, it takes a, a, a diverse team to run any company, right? So it takes some doers and it takes some leaders and it takes some thinkers and it takes some experts of all sorts. So we're gonna like it, like even in William Joseph, where we have a very vibrant culture, which is really dynamic, we have like an, an equal number of different types of personalities that make this spin because they each add value in their own way. When we look at the brand of a company, it's really talking about like what makes it different than the rest, what makes it authentic. And sometimes that's pulling a few attributes from the founders. You're pulling a few attributes from the staff. And you're saying, you know, when you look at like William Joseph overall, these are the things that come to mind. And some of that will be from the experiences that our clients have had. Some will be from what our staff brings. Like they're super smart. They're brainiacs. They bring that to the table. You know, maybe I do have that energy and enthusiasm. Maybe I bring that to, to the table. So collectively, the WJ experience will help define our brands or our values. Okay. And that's really what we take forward. So it's not okay. just me or just them. Um, yeah. Gotcha. I've oversimplified this process dramatically. Like it's actually a strategy session that we take clients through okay. where we help them define their why, help look at their values, start defining their essence, their personality, their key messaging and language. So it, it is a process you go through to, to pull that all out of a company. Beautiful. But that that's so valuable. It, it's that ladder. So the, the why, the values, the essence, the personality, the layering. So don't just yes. try to write the story right from, from scratch, right? It's, it's the layering process to understand the brand. And um, I know, Ryan, we'll, we'll be putting your information down in the show notes below. So if anybody wants to reach out. And I know from the past, you've, you've done amazing workshops with founders where, you know, mm -hmm. if, if they can't afford the one-on-one, -on -one, that you've got workshops that people can access so they can get this experience as well. Sorry, so I just threw that out there. I hope you still do. <laughs> I didn't do my research. <laughs> I do now. <laughs> Starting tomorrow. <laughs> we'll figure it out. We'll figure it out as we we'll go on out. the fly, yes. just like a founder. Okay, so I just want to talk about all the touch points, the visual touch points of a brand. I think that Oftentimes we, you know, right away, like you said, it's the website, it's the business card, it's the logo that gets created and then where that's going to be shared. Um, I think of all the social media and you're a king at social media. I mean, I watch you on LinkedIn and your engagement on your posts and you spoke to that authenticity. And I think that's a big piece of why your engagement is so high. I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, but um, that brand just resonates through, through everything, even your personal brand on LinkedIn. Yeah, it's, it's kind of crazy. Um, like I said, we can post a picture of dogs. I tell, I tell my clients, don't, pick, don't post dog pictures. And then there I go posting dog pictures <laughs> that get thousands and thousands of views. Um, you know what I think the whole, like, again, um, there's a lot of questions in that one. So like, I, let's just talk about LinkedIn for one second. We're just being highly random here. 
I think any platform that you become a part of, you have to stand out amongst the crowds. Remember I said a brand has to be authentic, compelling, and differentiating. A LinkedIn or social media experience has to be authentic, compelling, and differentiating. So, you know, I could have just been there, shared some articles and did things like everybody else. And honestly, I wouldn't have stood out from the crowd. And, and that's how I started. I hated that platform. I was like, oh shit, I don't want to go on there. I don't have time. And then my staff were like many, many years ago, you have to be on there. It's where business owners go. Okay, so off I went. And I was like, I don't want to say anything because I don't want to sound stupid. Long story short, I started to share things and then I started to post and here we are today, right? So you start developing a following and people like to follow your story. And I think what makes me maybe stand out a little bit is I'm always trying to be um, educational. So I'm trying to teach people something. I'm trying to be inspirational to give them the, the strength and courage to go on the next day. And I try to entertain. Like the world's a tough place. And my I'm kind of a funny guy. So my personality yeah. is to, uh, to joke around and stuff. So I want to keep things lighthearted a little bit because that's authentically me, right? So yeah. those are my pillars on, on social. Well, you've done a you've done a great job with it, and I think it's um, you're you're an amazing example of how your personal brand weaves in with the corporate brand because you you do tie in your I mean your your business is your life right but you're never selling anything on there and you're never speaking the the you're never towing the corporate line just like you said it is always inspirational and educational and entertaining at the same time so thanks for setting that example um, okay. Uh, last piece here that I want to ask about before we start to move in to the brand uh, promise. When, when do we know that it's time to either rebrand or to, uh, to actually shape a brand? Is there a good time to do it other than at the very beginning? Or if we've been towing the corporate line for so long, how do we know that it's actually time to freshen things up a little bit? That's a great question. So I think it's all about being relevant. So when you think of a founder, who can better sell the company but a founder? They have passion, they have knowledge, they could get in that room and close a deal. But we can't be everywhere, can we? So our brand has to go out into the world and tell our story when we're not there. The moment you feel your brand is not telling the story as well as you could, it's time to address it. It's your little remote sales force out there telling wow. your story. And you need to sit back and think like, is it, is it current? Is it up to date? A lot of times people don't address their brand and it looks really dated. Well, I wouldn't send a salesperson from 10 years, 10 years ago to sell my company. So why am I telling a, a 10 year old brand to go out there to sell my company? It's out of date. Um, number two, especially like if you start going into new markets, like we have clients up, up in Grand Prairie that are now going into Houston. Well, the brand worked in Grand Prairie. It does not work in Houston. It feels too small. It's like a little town brand. And it had to be a little town brand because if it was more than that, people would have been like, who the hell do you think you guys are poising like this big company? Right. But as you grow, then you need to start being sensitive to new regions. Or like as you diversify, I think that's a huge time when people have to rebrand. Like you can think of like Ryan's Plumbing Company, Ryan's Plumbing and Heating Company, Ryan's plumbing, heating and electric. Okay. At some point it's Ryan's home services, right? Like we have to, you can't keep putting commas on this. It's going to look ridiculous. So I think, you know, my advice to a founder is this, if you feel your brand is out of date and it's not current or as good as the stuff that you do rebrand. Number two, if you're going into new markets and you're adding new services, rebrand um, or evolve brand, I'm going to interchange those two. 
And number three, like if you bought the company from like your parents and you want to put your imprint, you want to imprint it with you, do it. You know, mom and dad had a way of doing it and now you're going to have a new way of doing it. And I think you'll have a lot more pride if you kind of make it your own than trying to live in the legacy of your parents. Learn from your parents and learn from legacy. But like now it's time to go to the future, right? Beautiful. Beautiful. Great tips there. So just to reiterate, as we kind of close down this first part of understanding um, understanding the brand is I think what's so important here is that a lot of founders love to move right away to the color and the fonts and what's a logo going to look like. What I really took away from this, Ryan, is understand your story. Understand the story, understand the why, understand the, you know, the, the, the value proposition, the essence, the personality, put words around it first and understand what that's supposed to convey. And then the, the images and the visual elements of it, the fonts and the colors, put that on second. And then what I think is so key about, as we talked about um, uh, the rebrand and your, your word evolving is making sure that every one of these touch points is telling that story. Because I think so many founders, they get into a brand without even telling the story. So I would, you probably have a better idea what these numbers are, but I would guess like seven out of 10 founders right now don't even know what their story is, right? Seven out of 10 founders will list what they do. Yes. And they will put that out as what their, their brand. And it's like, they will feel that business comes to them from their reputation and from their sales folks and from word of mouth. That's typically how it goes. And so they've never seen the power of branding. Um, so one person said to me, we've never got sales from our website. Do we even need one? And, and I quickly corrected and I said, well, we've never got sales. You've never got sales from that website. Um, and there's a reason for that, right? So it's, it's challenging because you don't know what you don't know. Mm-hmm. And there's lots of people trying to sell you stuff. So who do you trust? And I think at the end of the day, you have to build a brand that people trust, right? So people trust me, they trust my company. So when I give them advice, they kind of go, oh, is this true? Do I really need this damn stuff? Yes, you need this stuff. I can show you why and I'll take you on this journey and I'll hold your hand. And then they go, okay, I feel comfortable. So like it's, it's, I think the other thing like we talked about at the beginning is, you know, successful company, also have to um, be willing to learn. And I think be open-minded and see what data shows and stuff. Because if you get really stuck in your ways, the world of marketing has changed so much in three years. Three years. A marketing plan today would look nothing like a marketing plan three years ago. Now imagine you haven't addressed your brand or marketing for five years. You're spending money on things that don't even work anymore. So that's like pouring, like, like, like literally having the most uh, gas guzzling vehicle out on the, on the road from the 80s. And you're trying to motor when these hybrids are zooming right past you and you're not willing to change. Right. Yeah. So adaptability and change is something that is a mindset of a leader as well. So smart. So smart, Ryan. Thank you for all that. You know, talking about money here just for a second on this money podcast, it's like pricing, right? Where people don't change their price for three or four years. And meanwhile, inflation is adding up 2% year over year over year. And you're wondering why everybody's wondering why that bottom line isn't working. Okay. Awesome stuff, Ryan. Thank you so much. Um, So everybody, we're going to take a quick break. We're going to see you in here for part two. We're actually going to get to the promise 
of the brand. And this is really the customer experience that, that um, as Ryan's talking about, the authenticity, you have to be able to not only show it, but deliver on it. So come back in here for part two, just a shout out to our episode champion, Community Futures Sunrise. Thank you for all that you do. And Ryan, thank you again so much for being here. Looking forward to seeing you in part two. Okay, founders, welcome back. We're here for part two of understanding our brand and how it uh, how it corresponds with our bottom line. We are here with Ryan Townen. Did I say that, Ryan? I always go to say Townen. Perfect. Good. No S. Um, from William Joseph in Calgary, Alberta, and uh, Ryan and I go way back, way back at least twenty years is what I'm thinking. Um, when I but- was seven. <laughs> <laughs> And Ryan's here talking about personality and branding, as you can tell. Oh, you know what? Well, I love the segment that we're about to get into because it really is about the experience, the promise of the brand. I know every time I mention it to a founder, they're like, I don't know what you're talking about, what promise. So I think this is what really lends to the overall credibility of the company and really builds trust, which means repeat sales. But explain to everybody watching what that promise is. What are you talking about when we're talking about brand promise? What does that mean? Okay. So to kind of simplify it, like I think people think in two ways, like you think rationally and you think emotionally. So if I came to you and your company, I said, what do you sell? Rationally, you would say, I sell widgets and gidgets and X, Y, Z. Okay. But I would say emotionally, what do you sell? Well, I could actually provide you peace of mind. I could provide you um, this expert knowledge. I could provide you these other things. And they're they're the, the intangibles, but they're the emotional sell of a company. So when you build a brand, you have to really understand what is it that you're selling me? And so you're selling me products and services, but you're also selling me an experience. And what is that experience when I come to your company versus like the company down the road? Well, Ryan, we're really on call 24 seven. If you're in a bind, we're gonna make this happen for you. Okay, so you're really all about like this, like this detailed experience or this this, um, problem solving mode. Yeah, Ryan, we problem solve better than anyone else. Well, then we need to tell that story, right? Too many people lean on the terms quality, service, and price. Mm. We offer the best quality, service, and price. I think everyone does, Ryan. Everyone I've talked to, that's always how they differentiate themselves. What's different? (laughs) Sorry, I had to throw that in there because they say it every single time. Yeah. So if everybody says that, that would be like me saying, come to William Joseph. We have a ceiling and a floor. Like everybody has a ceiling and floor. It's not a differentiator. So we got to get rid of that. And that looks lazy. That honestly looks like you're doing the bare minimum. And honestly, it's not differentiating. It's a given. So when we talk about this experience, we really do have to figure out why if somebody used you and somebody used the competitor, what would they say about you that's better than the competitor? And what was that experience they had? And then let's go, hmm, other people should know about that. So let's use that as a bit of an anchor to tell our brand experience. So again, I'm going to use the word, the example problem solving. So let's say you are the, the best at problem solving in your industry. That's awesome. So that becomes a brand promise. We're, we're leaders in problem solving. 
Okay. Well, now we have to look internally to our culture, to our team, to HR, to training to say, everybody, we told the world we're experts in problem solving. We now need to be experts in problem solving. So when they meet us, they experience that. Because the first time that buddy goes out on a call and they can't solve that problem and they're like, yeah, I don't know what's wrong with it and walks away, your whole brand promise just went, it blew up, Mm. right? It's like Mm. WestJet. Remember when WestJet was so fun? It was the fun airline. If you got on there with like crabby flight attendants, you'd be like, what? You sold me a wrong bill of goods. I must be on the wrong plane. It wouldn't fit. So I think that's the whole thing here is that I need people to understand is the story that you tell to the outside world is the story that you must live inside. And you really need to figure out what makes that you different and what is that characteristic. And that's tough. That's tough. You know, because sometimes people are like, why are we different than the rest? I don't know. Yeah, well, and I think this is, and we'll, we'll speak a little bit about this at the end of the episode, but you've got a university where you, again, you've got these classes where people can actually start to better understand this process because it is tough. It's, it's about going in and answering these questions that no one's asked you before to come up with the, why are you doing what you're doing, right? It's, I think we're so used to sitting on the surface is what I think has happened that we don't get to, we don't drill down and ask ourselves, why are we doing what we are doing? What is that end result? What is my exit strategy? What am I actually building, right? All these questions that so many people want us to be able to answer and we don't actually get into that. Well, let me jump in there. Yes, please. You said something brilliant that I have to jump on. So we worked with a, a corporate trainer and her name is Dr. Wilma Slenders. And she took us through a session that was really uh, focused on urgent versus important. And I think as a business owner, that session hit me up against the side of the head really hard. Love it. As a, as a founder, as a business owner, we're always in the trenches. We're always dealing with today's fires because it's very urgent. But that never gives us the time to sit back and go, but what's really important to work on? Mm. And our time gets stole and we always, and then we'll end up in the same place a year later, still firefighting because we didn't do what was important, right? So I think the thing like branding is very, very important, but typically it's never urgent unless there's a specific situation or two. Um, On the same token, I think like it's just, it's just so, so important for people to understand that, that like when you do try to understand why you're different, it's very hard to, to do an introspection. That's why people hire outsiders because we come in and look at the, the company and look at the owners and look at the staff and talk to some clients. And we're like, do you guys see this? You can't see it because you're in it. I can't see it in, in WJ. So when people are like, Ryan, that's so amazing. I'm like, Yes, we just live it every day. We can't see it. So, so there's the forest and trees analogy and blah, blah, blah. But that's another challenge. So don't beat yourself up if you really do have trouble trying to figure out these things because you're, from, you're looking from the inside out. That's really great advice. I think founders are pretty hard on themselves to start off with. So that's important for them to hear. And, um, you know, I think the, the other piece on that is that I, I just want to go back to what you had said earlier on, too, about the experience and delivering on that experience. So once you figure out what that what you stand for with respect to the promise and the personality, it reminds me a little bit of um, features and benefits. 
right? We, we kind of stay stuck on the features, but trying to extrapolate, well, why would they care? What's in it for them? What's the end result? And then coming back to, as you mentioned, making sure that that's congruent or consistent uh, across every touch point, both internally. So once that, you know, internally with your culture, but then as that, that customer has that experience internally, I've also noticed it externally though, as well with that early stage marketing where you think, oh, I'm just creating awareness, right? Like I just really need to get people in the funnel so that they can have that experience. But I, I, I've noticed companies who have not done a good job of that consistency. So for example, if someone's saying that they're extremely efficient and effective at what they do, and that's what they're selling to a customer, and then they're throwing stuff at the wall, marketing messages at the wall, uh, to your point, it doesn't it doesn't resonate that that efficiency and that effectiveness and that brand mm-hmm. promise. So they're losing people right at the beginning. Practice what you preach. Practice what you preach. So important. Um, and I am trying to think here. So under the experience that promise and we deliver, is there anything else? I will just say because you've mentioned this, that you are offering a course. I know this this content is going to be evergreen for people right now, but you do have courses that you are offering. And one of those courses is about brand and being able to better understand the brand. And these courses are free, correct? Mm -hmm. Correct. Correct. Perfect. All right. So this takes us really to, uh, as we start to look at the brand, we now have the story, we have the words, we have the visual representation. We understand now the promise of the brand. And you're still suggesting this comes at the end, right? After this is the third piece, the third component that we lock in on, or should we start with this? No. Okay. Well, maybe I'll, 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 I'll show it to you guys like this. When we look at this from at WJ, we look at three uh, three phases. So there's actually a pre-phase, and we didn't have it. We didn't really actually talk about that yet. The pre-phase is to really kind of understand what's going on in your business. Like, is marketing the problem? Is brand really the problem? Or is is it a salesperson that can't close? Or is there a toxic culture? Or is the profit margins wrong? Like, there's a lot of variables that go. Um, that could go wrong in a business. And sometimes people blame marketing and we have to figure out, first of all, is it even the marketing or brand? So, okay, that's number one. Number two, you you don't operate in a silo. You're not in a vacuum, right? You always have to keep your eye on your competitors to see what they're doing, what your target market's needs and wants are, what's going on in the industry. Oh, darn it, there's a pandemic, okay. There's a lot of variables that are moving around. So before you even start crafting that story and that look and feel, we need to get a lay of the land. And I always say like, we need to put our chess pieces on the board first to go, okay, competitors are there, clients are doing this, economy's here, okay, this is the lay of the land. Okay, based on this lay of the land, what is our story? What is our look and feel? Once we've got that craft and we go, yes, this story makes sense in this reality that we've just identified, then how do we tell it, right? So we need to tell the story. And we tell the story through, we use something called a customer journey map. So we kind of call it the ABCs of marketing because that's easy to remember. So A is awareness. we got to get our name out there. How are we going to get our name out there? But do remember, not everybody needs to know your name. Only people with money <laughs> that are going to buy your services. Because sometimes you waste money spraying and praying when you could be much more focused. So the second phase is buying. So A is awareness, B is buying. So how do we turn those people that are interested into you into like a proposal, an inquiry, a, sh- a store visit, and into a sale? 
And then thirdly is the customer experience. So once they bought from you, how do you get them to come back and bring their okay. friends? ABC, right? So I think it's really important to understand what you're doing for marketing initiatives under each of the phases. Um, but again, you need to have a great brand to pull this all together. Pull it all together. Got it. Does that make sense? It does. It absolutely makes sense. Thank you for clarifying that because I think that's going to streamline it for a lot of founders that are listening in. That was very helpful. And I, I um, just in closing this segment, uh, why I, I'm excited to do this segment for a number of reasons, but the the I think one of the most pressing reasons is because of COVID. And I think what COVID has shown a lot of founders is that we can no longer rely on just throwing products out there. I think in the middle of this crisis, everyone actually really got quite, I'm not gonna say smart with their spending, but they, everything needed to have a purpose attached to it. Why am I buying this? Why am I buying it from this business versus this business, knowing that this is going to be the lifeblood for a lot of these founders, right? So everyone became really quite conscious and aware of where they were spending their money and why, and which forces a lot of founders to understand their why, because that's what they start talking about now, instead of just, we're selling windows, doors, you know, door handles, it's, it's really about getting to the why of it. So thank you. Thank you for all of this, Ryan. All right, we're going to come back. That's it for part two. Uh, some great, great nuggets and words of wisdom in there. There was tons. You're going to see it in the playlist. <laughs> tip number one, tip number two. Lots of sound bites there, Ryan. Um, and so we're actually going to come back. And our last segment is about now infusing this brand into the products and services that you offer and the price. Because there has to be congruency between that promise and then the price that you're putting things out at. All right, Ryan, thank you for holding the line here and we'll see you back in here for part three. All right. All right, founders, welcome back. We are here for part three of branding and bottom line. We're here with Ryan Townen from uh, William Joseph in Calgary, Alberta. And this episode, as always, championed by our really great friends over at Community Future Sunrise. Thank you for all that you do. Okay, branding. Uh, we have covered some really important topics when it comes to brand. Now we're going to talk about um, how we weave this brand in to not only the company and the team and the culture, but how we weave it into our products and our services. And then we're going to touch on price point, um, which obviously we, we need to we need to dovetail it with brand. So do you where do we start with this? Do you actually recommend different exercises for each product and service that we sell? How do we weave brand into the products and services now? Oh, it's a, it's, it's a big topic for sure. So <laughs> I'm not asking you to brand the States, so it's okay. <laughs> That's very kind of you. Let's just think about Apple for a second. Um, so when we think of Apple, everything like app, Apple tries to make your life simple, right? There's just a simplicity. So you can do things on their phones. You go into their stores, like it's simple. Um, the, the, the design and brand aesthetic of Apple is embedded in everything from the experience to the product to the, you can see it. Like you see white out of the corner of your eye, you kind of know you're in that store. The packaging, like everything is very consistent. And the reason why people do things to make them consistent is so that it's more memorable. It's easy to remember so that when they see that, they know exactly where that's coming from, right? So I think the thing is, is your whole idea is trying to standardize and create consistency that's in alignment with your brand. Um, and, you know, you think about like, the, for example, 
the fleet of trucks that are uh, going out to sites. Well, there's a branded element, like it, the experience should be consistent, right? So if we're problem solvers, we're all problem solvers, but the trucks all show up deckled, the people are in the appropriate gear, the brand is prevalent. And I think the thing is, it's it's not old trucks, it's newer trucks that are properly deckled and clean, yes. because you think about that, it's that attention to detail. So if you say that you're an attention to detail type of company, and I drive into your yard and all the trucks are haphazardly parked, versus that company where all the trucks in their fleet are perfectly lined up, that tells a different story. And I think that's the thing is we as consumers are always picking up nonverbal cues. So it, I made the comment, like practice what you preach. If you came into William Joseph and the office wasn't what you expected, you might be like, what, are they legit? Or then you see this place and you're like, oh no, this matches the story that I thought they were putting out. So I think the thing is, is from your products and services, everything has to be at that level of consistency that your brand promises. Does that make sense? It does make sense. And um, can I throw in an example here? Because I love that example that you gave with trucking and Apple. And I think of uh, two guys that I know that have a construction business and they've, they kind of settled on, they they didn't settle, they put a lot of effort into it, but they decided to go with cleverness. Cleverness is what set them apart in the building process and the renovation process. And from their early marketing days where they decided, okay, if, if clever is our promise and our our brand position, their marketing had to be clever. So they started delivering earplugs and parking pylons to, you know, neighbors of of, um, where homes were being renovated. But then even in the build process and all of the proposals that they wrote out, they made sure to extrapolate Um, here are some of our clever ideas, right? We're going to suggest this under the stairs. We're going to suggest this in the cabinets. We're going to suggest this in the backyard. And so it was just always first and first and and, and foremost in the eyes of the consumer, but it just, it reverberated throughout the entire, entire, um, I don't want to say entire what? The whole experience. The whole experience. Yeah. From, from, from start to finish. So, um, Products and services, I guess we would, you would sit down and you would go through that same exercise. How do we infuse it? Where can we inject it into the touch points and then get your team all on board with that? So I imagine that would be a fairly simple process. The hardest process is figuring out what you stand for. Yeah. And I think what it is really, it's all about is it's embedding those values into your culture. So people just think with that filter. So it's not always like you don't always, it's just that it feels like it's just that intuitive filter that we have. So when somebody sets up coffee in the kitchen, they have that because of our culture, they think that way. So they just automatically do it that way. And that's the power of culture, right? I, I think as companies grow, like we talk about branding and why it's so important for external audiences like a customer branding is more important for internal audiences like your staff they have to drink the kool-aid they have to be proud of the company they work for and they have to operate in the consistent manner that the brand is set that's what culture is all about is to help form that sense of behavior based on the, the corporate standard that's been set And when you have that in alignment, that's when magic happens. So companies that are growing really fast have challenges with this because they're onboarding. People aren't learning the culture. They don't know those values. So like, and they might not have a formal HR or culture manager. So sometimes that's where we at William Joseph have to really step in and say, wait, we need to create an internal communication strategy. We need to focus on internal communications to help educate people inside your company what that means. Because again, it's about the experience. We can put out the shiny ads, but if we don't live it, 
it falls flat, no results. So oh, you bring up such a, a an important point because I remember when I was working with a large organization, it was a large telco. And to your point, it was just, it was a battleship that not everybody, sure, we understood the visual representation of the brand, but we didn't understand the internal culture because it was just too big. I think we were like 50,000 employees, right? And not everybody could, could resonate with that brand. And so what I love about what you've just said is that this becomes one of our competitive advantages is that when we can nail our brand, then we have like arms and legs above like what the competitors can do because we can we can just put that out there really quickly and we can live it and act on it really quickly and fix it if we need to really quickly we're very uh, nimble and agile that way so brilliant thank you for bringing that up i think that i never even thought about that competitive advantage piece before okay brand and price this is where I think a lot of companies go off the rails because they're incongruent with what they say they are. And then they put a price out there. Oftentimes that price is usually discounted because they're so desperate for sales. What can you tell us about brand and price and how we need to make sure those two are aligned? Oh, like that's a, that's another million dollar question. So I think the thing is, it's all about consistency, right? And so people will pay a certain price based on the value they receive. In the lack of value, they won't pay. So they'll think you're too expensive. So if they somebody leaves you on price, you did not do a good enough job to demonstrate value. Now, let me also be clear. You also have to be lean and efficient. So if something is, let's say the going rate for something is $100 and I have a premium brand, I could maybe sell it for 120 because I have elevated the experience. I'm going to give you more support. I'm going to give you X, Y, Z. Here's all the things that take that product from 100 to 120. I can demonstrate that to you. And if you want that experience, you'll pay more. Done. If you want to go with a very economical solution and just get the bare minimum service, X, Y, Z, and pay 100, that's fine. What I find sometimes happens is people are... Um, it's, there's no strategy behind it, right? So what happens is, is they're trying to still offer this big service, but then they try to fight the pricing war. And then they can, once you start this pricing war, you can't pull it back up because, you know, even if like during COVID, we've had clients that have had to quote unquote, like sharpen their pencil because of just the competitiveness. But that gives you the opportunity to say, well, for this year, we're going to give you a discount. But in the long, if you sign a long-term deal, because we're a long-term partner, like there's just ways to language and message things so that you don't turn it into a pricing war. And like I said, once you get down, you can't get back up. Right. Yeah. You've set that bar now, right? You've set an expectation. Well, I think that's extremely important. I, I also, you know, speaking to that point about incongruency, I think that there are some companies out there. I always use the example of the dollar store versus the whole Renfrew, but there are companies out there that do want to be the dollar store. And there is a purpose yeah. that those dollar stores do serve. But to your point, they have a strategy around this is the perception that we have in the market. This is the price point that goes with that perception. So you can get plenty, you can get it cheap, you can get it fast, but you'll be coming back to get a lot more often because it's not going to last a terribly long time, right? Yeah. And you know what? Like I would give you an example, like William Joseph is a lot like Mercedes. Okay. So a lot of the stuff we sell is really high end and it comes with a high end price. But honestly, we still sell smart cars. 
So if you want to get into the game, we can definitely help you out with a little smart car. And then you're going to trade that smart car up for a C-class. And soon you're going to be jetting around in that convertible when you work with us. But the whole point is, is that you're going to get quality at each step, but we do have entry points. And we don't make any excuses about that. We're very confident in what we do. And my whole thing is, is I never... This is my value system. I never want somebody to walk away from WJ feeling I can't help them. That's a, that's a feeling I would not be okay with. That's why we did free classes. We do workshops. So from free to $2,500 to $40,000 to a million dollars, like we have something for somebody at each point. And if all you ever you come to us for is a free class, that's fantastic. I hope you have an amazing experience. I'll still treat you like you're the biggest customer in the room. Because you, I don't know who you know, and that's where the word of mouth and goodwill and reputation go. So we live in a small world. Everybody is connected now. So like, I think it's so important that you treat everybody as a potential customer, whether they have no dollars or a million dollars, because you just don't know who they know, right? So that's my philosophy in life. So important. And I think we had a we had a pro in here the other day that was talking about pricing. And there was this conversation around splintering. So instead of discounting, you know, just starting to break out some of your bigger services and being able to offer it and still exceeding that expectation and and bringing people in um, along the way. Um, But so, so important. And I I love what it is that you're um, referring to, because I know a lot of people out there, um, specifically founders are heavily discounted and want to be everything for everyone. But I love how you've just bundled that because there's a way that you can still do that without compromising your brand and the perception of your brand. I, I love that that uh, that smart car analogy. I think that's brilliant. Brilliant, because you're brilliant. Brilliant. So talking about money and pricing, um, can we just quickly touch on, and not necessarily quickly, but can we touch on budget? And budgeting for branding, because I, you know, as you mentioned earlier, importance and urgency and with everything that's been going on, I'm sure a lot of people are like, oh, you know, branding and uh, and the investment in brand and what's the ROI going to be on that. What are your thoughts on budgeting for brand? I love this question. So I'll get a new client that comes to us and I'll say, like, what's your marketing budget? 95% of the time, we, we don't have one. What, what should it be? I'm like, okay. And they'll ask a second question. What do you think is expensive? Because expensive is such a relevant term, right? So pe- there's two mindsets. Some people will think of branding and marketing as a pure cost. Other people will see it as an investment with an ROI. Now, people that have tried marketing and it's never worked, will see it as a cost and I don't blame them. It's never worked. I just put it out there. I lose money. It doesn't happen. Um, others have seen it work and then they've seen the magic of it, right? So We always sit back and go like, who do you want to be when you grow up? So if you say to me, Ryan, we want to be a global company and we're taking on these competitors and we need to acquire this much business in six months. That's a very different budget than if you want to grow your business by 5% in the city of Prince Albert, right? That's very different. So I always tell people like, Marketing isn't cheap or expensive. It's all relevant to how hard you pump that gas in your car. So if you want to go far and fast, it's going to cost way more than if you just want to grow slow and like steady and slow. Mm -hmm. So that's where we use something called objective driven marketing and budgeting. So if you tell me you want this to happen, I will tell you how much it's going to cost to make that happen. 
Um, so a marketing plan could be $10,000. A marketing plan could be a million. Now, I need to tell you a little story. So many years ago, my team came to me and said, we thought we needed a brochure because to tell people, you know, who we are and stuff. And my team came back, the strategy team, and said, we don't want to do a brochure. We want to do a magazine because we think a magazine would have a longer shelf life and people would keep it, right, versus tossing a brochure away. So that makes it really neat. And they said, you know, no one else is doing this in our industry. So it's authentically us. It's differentiating. And it's going to make a statement. And I said, well, how much would a brochure have cost? And they told me. And they said, how much would this magazine cost? And it was 10 times more, 10 times but they said, we want to actually do it twice a year, not once a year, 20 times more. Okay. So think of something like $3,000 to $60,000. Like I'm not talking three to 4,000, 3,000 to 60. Yeah. And they said, but this is going to set us out amongst the crowd. So of course I have to, I trust my team. If, if I get clients to trust my team, I need to trust them. So I did it. Now, everything in marketing is still a calculated risk because all the strategies in the world still can't guarantee, but we had pretty definitively thought this out and we did it. Our sales after we launched that magazine went up by millions. Wow. Not hundreds, wow. not thousands. Okay. So if I told you the ROI on that magazine now, you would be like, wow. give me two of them right? That's yes. a no brainer. Yes. But to go in trusting the strategy, trusting it and see, that's the thing. The cost conscious person would have said, I am not spending that money on two magazines. I want the brochure and their business would have hardly grew. The investment minded folk would say, okay, if that's what it's going to take to get my business to the next level, let's do it. And we did it. And we saw that huge gain, huge. And so that's the, the moral of the story here, right? You still have to have a really dynamic brand and activate it in a really smart way to get the gains. But if you want to play, there's some risk involved, right? And, and the bigger the risk, the bigger the reward. But if you play it safe, don't be surprised if you actually see very little results because this world is so complex and there's so many people playing it smart that they're taking the business. So if you're just trotting along, it's, it's not the way to go, you know, and I don't know. That's a good uh, story. No, that's an amazing story. Um, and I, you know, I'm, I'm sitting with it and so many thoughts come to mind. It, it, it feels like how we started off this episode where you're talking about mindset and mindset. there are a lot of founders out there right now, especially in the middle of the pandemic that have been hit financially they've been hit hard. Do you think there's, and I, this is going to be a loaded question, sorry. So, but I'm curious because what you've just, what you've, what you did is you basically went running off the cliff, right? You're like, <laughs> Let, you're like, let's just go for it. And you didn't have a parachute. And luckily, luckily the plane came by and it, 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 you know, you, you soared. Is there a way, like when we're shifting a mindset and I get the plane safe is, is, might there be a step that founders can take, especially because I would imagine that they would be working with someone to help them with branding and to help them with marketing. Is there a step that they might be able to take to ensure that they're in the right hands, establishing trust, building that rapport, building trust with that consultant, um, with your company. And then once that trust is built, then they take the flying leap. I don't know what I'm really asking there. I'm just wondering if there's a way to go from zero to a hundred without having to, to step on the gas, but to do this incremental, um, 
incremental growth. So think of this, like when you are on a plane on a tarmac, we know we have a runway with a limited space and we need to fly. But when the pilot pulls it back, it goes slow at the beginning and it goes slow. And there is a point where they could shut the mission down, but there is that critical point Mm. where we're in too deep. (laughs) We're going, we're going (laughs) to take off. And every founder knows that feeling of there is no plan B. We're in the air. I just don't like skimming along the, the, the roof lines. I'm the kind of guy that likes to be a little bit more like, okay, they, they got to Mars, let's keep going. So my theory is there is no plan B. I, I am going to do this and we're going to pull this back. And if I do something stupid, I'll quickly correct course and keep going, right? But I think the thing is, is marketing, it's easy for me to talk like this because this is what I'm trained in. I have 20 years experience. So they, people truly just need to find a, an agency or a consultant that they trust that can take them there that shares a mindset, right? And it's going to take um, a few sleepless nights. Like it is like, you're going to be like, did I put my money in the right spot? I have payroll. I have electricity. I have like, like R and D now there's this marketing but you can have the best company in the world. And if nobody knows about it, yeah, you have no sales. <laughs> so let's pull this back. Marketing is not the lowest priority. It's equal at the table as every other, um, uh, every other aspect of your company. And if you don't make it a priority as important, it will finally break down. And then you're going to have a bigger problem because you're going to have backed up inventory, a terrible culture, no awareness in the market. Like all these things will happen if you neglect that. Yeah. Uh, Ryan, I want to leave it right there because I'm still, to be honest with you, my mind is still in that when you painted that picture of that plane and that runway, and when you're on the throttle, there's a point where you have to take off. You just, you don't have any option. That to me, that was sitting with me, I think is probably sitting with a lot of founders because I was like, okay, that's it, ready to go. So where I want to leave it now is for everybody listening and watching. Ryan's, um, his, his contact information is in the show notes. The link to the university is in the show notes. So whether you're that smart car or you're the Mercedes, there's something there for you. So just get this done because it, it is, it is so critical. It is not meant to be on the back burner and don't try piecing it together because that becomes your brand piecing it together, right? And clients don't want people piecing it together. They want to know that you've got this, that you're solid. So Ryan, thank you so, so much. So much information in there. So valuable. Um, I'm going to have to watch this a couple of times for it to sit in, but uh, I'm ready to take off. So um, literally and figuratively, I guess. Talking about I, I always tell, I, I close a lot of my LinkedIn posts as of late with, with this line. And I think it's, it's fitting for this episode as well. Now is the time. Oh, yes. Yes, it is. I just want to sit with that for a moment. It is so the time. This is it. So thank you, Ryan, for being here. Thank you, Community Future Sunrise, for all that you do and for inspiring and educating founders, um, community futures across the country and community future sunrise uh, for all that you do in, uh, in Southeast Saskatchewan. Thank you, ladies. Ryan, thank you as always. It's so good to see you. Thank you for being here and uh, let's stay in touch. Now is the time. Now is the time. All right, bye everybody.